0: Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world.
1: Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Kevin King, Steve Simonson, and Stephen Pope. Today, I'm speaking with Brian Johnson, the co-founder of Canopy Management, And we will be talking a lot about Amazon advertising and product optimization. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Brian, I started Hadley Designs in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years. I made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a little bit longer. Uh, At times, I doubted whether our business could even survive or become a real brand. And I wish I would have had a guide to help me grow faster and avoid a lot of the stumbling blocks I ran into. If you've hit a similar plateau and want to know the next steps to take your business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M, two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com with the subject line strategy audit and plead your case as to why we should choose you as the strategy audit that we should select for the month. And if you don't win this month, don't worry, because you'll be entered for future months to come. Today, I'm super excited to introduce you all to Brian Johnson. Brian has served as, an, uh, as a leader in online advertising and conversion rate strategy For nearly two decades, he's a trusted partner to tens of thousands of brands across the globe, and Brian's work has earned him a reputation as a disruptive force in a world brimming with new and interesting challenges. Through his advertising agency, Canopy Management, as well as his highly successful Amazon advertising consultancy, community, training, and software, Brian has helped over 25,000 brands increase sales by over $2 billion on Amazon, through advertising strategy, conversion rate optimization, and differentiation. The results his products and services deliver continue to put him in high demand with companies both large and small around the world. So with that introduction, Brian, I want to welcome you to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. Yeah, when you put it together, like that whole, like, like here's your career in a bottle. And so it's like, man, that sounds like a lot of work.
1: (laughs) That sounds like yeah, you've been around the block a few times, too, Brian. Just a few. Yeah. Just going around in circles. Yeah. Hey, no, no, do it, doing great things. Well, and Brian, one thing that, that isn't in that bio, you know, you and I have worked together. You were one of the partners uh, I hired to run our PPC back in, what was it, 2018, I want to say. Yeah, right? Is that when right.
0: Yeah, started, yeah. right? Yeah, you were in the first, oh,
1: you were probably, like, I think I was one of the just first client, clients, me. yeah so I watched canopy uh management grow up and uh and and watching you guys do amazing things has been yeah. incredible and and you guys took off a huge load off my yeah, shoulders hard. when it was just my wife and i and uh man we we have we have thirteen hundred products now, and you you know that that's no small feat uh advertising that many different no. products.
0: But I mean, the credit, so, the credit absolutely goes to you and your wife. You know, it's, you just are driving force as far as like rolling out new products on a regular basis and being as creative and innovative as you, you've you been. So yeah, well done on that.
1: Well, well, thank you, Brian. And again, I, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And I know our listeners are going to be excited to hear from you because again, you across 25 different, 25,000 different brands, you've been able to look under the hood of numerous uh, Amazon businesses to see what's working, what's not working. You've worked with huge multinational, you know, conglomerates, so to speak. And then you've also worked with small, you know, guys that just started like me on Amazon that we're just kind of figuring th- things out as we go that bootstrap their business. Right. And so I would love for you to share some of those strategies with our audience that you see working and and how brands stay relevant today. But Before we get into all of that, Brian, why don't you give everybody just a little bit of background of like, how did you gain all of your experience to what led you ultimately to Canopy and and what you're doing now, and I think what ultimately led to the success you guys are experiencing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I spent uh, a number of years in the the corporate, the Fortune 500 world um, for various companies, and there was always that strong pull of... Uh, the entrepreneur pool. Right. And I was always moonlighting, always doing something on the weekend. I was never the case study of the, you know, the kid that would be selling candy, uh, you know, in the, in, on the playground, you know, in school, I wasn't, I wasn't that bad, but I probably had something similar that I was trying to do. Um, but I had finally jumped over out of corporate into uh, entrepreneurship painfully at times uh, about God, it's been 15 years now. And so I jumped over into um, sourcing products locally from from you know business going out of going out of business auctions and and uh, various liquidation sites and everything. And I was I spent about seven years on Amazon. I'm sorry, not on Amazon on eBay okay, uh, sourcing and then reselling uh, products. And then I started uh, sourcing and reselling uh, for multiple brands money counting equipment like banking equipment, uh, coin sorters, and. Fraud detectors and cash counters and that kind of stuff. And in, uh, in gosh, probably one of my, my I think it was probably like my last year, maybe, um, I had a number of units, a uh, number of cash machines that I had, um, in house. Uh, most of the time I was just drop shipping, but in house, I had one that I had, uh, AMZ or was, uh, AMC Studios in New Mexico call me up one day and said, like, hey, we're shooting tomorrow. We need, uh, we want a black money counter for, for the show we're shooting. Uh, I said, oh, which one? It's like, oh, it, it, you've never heard of it before. It's, uh, um, it's, a, it's a new show called Breaking Bad. And I'm like, like oh, I'm a, I'm a, I love Breaking Bad. And they're like, you've heard of us? Because <laughs> this was literally, this was the beginning of season two. And so lo and behold is that they went ahead and they paid more for overnight FedEx shipping of this money counter equipment so that they could have it in, I think it was like season two, episode 10, or something like that, when they had like a black money counter. Okay. I had shipped that to them literally overnight so that they could have it. I mean, that's, that's what you call just-in-time sourcing right there. <laughs> but um, that uh, that wrapped up probably my last year before I got the call over to, uh, to Amazon uh, within the next couple of years. Uh, I got pulled over and realized I was a fish out of water, didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I had jumped into um, at the same time as I, I think it was like Amazing Selling Machine Two. Okay, and they had so it was still pretty early on. Um, some friends of mine had, been, would, had that I'd known in e-commerce had pulled me over to Amazon. And said, "Yeah, this is great." I might go and say, "What you know for Kindles and books?" You know, I didn't I didn't have a clue back. then. This was back in 2014, and so I had learned enough to to source and. Bring to market my own product. It was like a kitchen tool, and uh, I go to the the amazing Selling Machine Two live event in Austin, Texas, and I'm sitting there in the audience. And there's probably I don't know 500 to a thousand. I've got no idea how many people were actually there, but I'm sitting there in the audience, and Jason Flading gets up on stage, and he, of course, he's dynamic. In 2014, it was full on Wild West on on Amazon. Yes, it was. Yeah, he he, he, goes, he goes. You can just go in there. It's like 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 you can go in any niche you want, and, and everybody's got a broken listing, and, and they don't have enough images, and it's like garbage photography. And you can just easily just walk in there and do a better job. And he started showing examples of a few niches. Like here's a few examples. You know, you could just easily just you know anybody in here could just walk in and just take over that net niche. And of course, one of the screens he brought up was my direct competitor. <laughs> within two months, I had thirty new competitors. Clearly, oh, not a whole lot of creative people in that room, uh, and so I, I really, you know, that's when I started actually innovating. <laughs> uh, I, I think that was kind of the, that was probably the first instance where I started innovating from uh, within the Amazon space. And so I had added on something like a cleaning brush accessory, and then within six months, everybody in that niche had that same cleaning brush. So I realized, like, okay, innovation is. Um, Creativity and innovation in the Amazon space—you got to keep moving. You can't just go like, "Cool, I did it. I'm protected. Good to go." Doesn't work that way. Somebody's always going to come after you with it. So I had, at the same time, this was kind of the the catalyst to what I've accomplished now, and that is, I had a buddy of mine who is does very well um, on uh, on Amazon. In fact, he told me this week that he, him and his wife, are being uh, they've got um, Amazon themselves, Amazon corporate is actually flying out to them in Arizona in order to interview them for a success story of selling on, on Amazon, which is wow. pretty cool. Right. And of course they've been on, you know, a number of things like, you know, Today shows and that kind of stuff. But um, when I had first started consulting, which in other words is I knew five minutes more than, than what they did as far as, uh, Marketing on Amazon, which was very little back back then, and the problem was that they had a beauty brand that had eight hundred SKUs on Amazon back in two thousand fourteen. Eight hundred SKUs That's on Amazon, and they're like, going, "Yeah, then. Brian, you know, if you could just go ahead and run this channel, you know, like like figure out how to grow the sales on this." Again, f- complete fish out of water, right? I had I, I had to learn fast. Learned that I wanted to learn it and I started making a dent in it, but I realized like, you know, I could move faster if I could just do the advertising. So let me figure out the advertising. All right, cool. Where's the training for advertising? Crickets, nothing. Amazon didn't even have anything. Okay, well, there's got to be people talking about it. Nobody's talking about it. No groups, no, no community software. No training. No. Okay, fine. <laughs> That's what led me just out of my own personal need. I'm like, okay, well, let me start out and just do create a let me just create a Facebook group and uh, I'll, I'll invite some people on there and we'll, we'll get like, you know, 20, 30 of us in there and we'll mastermind together about advertising. That was the start of the, uh, the Amazon PPC troubleshooting group that has like, gosh, I don't know, it's like 22,000 people, I think, um, just in that group alone right now. Okay. And so it's grown, you know, regardless of what I've done. But I was always the type of person that anytime somebody asks a question, if I knew the answer, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re- reply. Well, it turns out that was a trap <laughs> because <laughs> people would start asking questions that I didn't have the answer for. But I was determined um, as the moderator of the group, I was determined to figure out what the answer was. So I went out and I figured out the answer. I did spent my own money doing tests and everything until I, got, I figured out the answer. And the more answers that you provide, the more that they start relying on you for all the answers. And the more people come in, the more repetitive, the, the bigger the um, uh, the questions come, the harder they come. But I always had the habit of, like, okay, I can solve this. I'll figure it out. I'll get an answer. I'll get the the correct answer. So that that paved the way as far as the reputation, I guess, of being, I guess, kind of the answer guy when it came to Amazon advertising because by then I was starting to do more research um, and more testing than than probably most any other uh, seller was doing, and it just kept snowballing, right? And and it got to the point where – you know, because they're always expecting you to have the answer, you can never not have the answer. And so that's the trap, right? So after a while, I said, okay, well, uh, I'm trying to manage 800 SKUs for this beauty brand for my, for my friend on advertising. And it sucks because I'm spending 10, 12 hours, you know, a week at least going through and trying to manage, you know, all the, you know, the minimal ad reports that were available and trying to figure out what's working and making changes. Let me create some software, just upload your report and it spits out some new information, says, here's what's working, here's what's not. And that exploded because there wasn't anything else on the market. Um, Selex was coming online at the time um, also, but we had probably, we grew in the first couple of years, or the first year, we had, I think, a little over 6,500 users who were using this version. And it was just horrific. There's a a statement in business of, like, uh, if you're not embarrassed by your first launch, by your first version, then you got to market too late.
1: <laughs>
0: so that was absolutely the case. It was it was embarrassing. It worked better than what Amazon offered, but it was still ugly. By today's standard, it was a joke. Uh mm-hmm. it was the, the equivalent of um well, never mind. It it is it was is insignificant compared to what's available today. That software, that was what we came PPC scope. PPC scope ran until this past summer when um I sold it off actually um, a little over a year ago and then they shut it down um, this summer uh, just because it just wasn't, it wasn't a good fit for their business model. But um, it was interesting to have that run. It was probably, you know, a good six year run with, with that software Um, during that time to kind of evolve to the next thing, which ended up becoming what we call sponsored products Academy, which is the course that we did three different versions on, that's when I met Brian Burt, who would go on to become my partner in Sponsored Products Academy and then subsequently into Canopy Management, of which he's the CEO now. And he had hunted around and asked people, it's like, okay, who knows what they're talking about in PPC. Apparently, people kept pointing back to me. So he said, okay, fine, I'll just hire you for, you know, whatever my rate was at the time, which I think was like $55, you know, for for like a half an hour. So, so cheap. Very, yeah, exactly, very cheap and uh and he kind of laughed at the end because i was I was telling him everything that he needed more than he needed to know about his own advertising, and he realized that like you got way too much stuff in your head, we need to turn this into something that that uh that you can monetize you know into a course, and so Apparently, what was in my head was four weeks worth of training on advertising, <laughs>
1: as,
0: <laughs> as it turns out. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we did we did quite well with, with that. Again, that was another Blue Ocean. Software was Blue Ocean where nobody, there wasn't competition. The course was Blue Ocean. Um, nobody had, you know, any kind of a major course out um, yet. And we we definitely didn't have a blue ocean when we finally decided four and a half years to go to launch the agency canopy management. But we felt like okay, we've already gone through, we've done everything else. You know, I've got software, we've got uh, training. You know, we've got all the formula, uh, and that's when we launched uh, canopy management. And I think you had made a comment earlier that resonated well with me, and that um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna repeat it because I can't. I'm not gonna paraphrase it, but the idea that your first year. Is and, and periodically throughout your career and whatever business you have, uh, it can be a train wreck at times. And I have no idea to this day how you stuck with us that first year, given how many problems we had that first year, just the, the growing pains and just trying to document all of our processes and get consistency down and all of our rules and strategies and everything. It was just, it was kind of a nightmare the first year um, that we finally. You know, with after the first year, after we went through this EO coaching, right? Um, that is what solved. That's what helped us survive the first year. We really did not think. I did not mm-hmm. think we were going to survive. Neither one of us thought we were going to survive uh, until we we went through the the training with Charfen, um, and that absolutely turned us around. Um, got us to focus in on mm-hmm. what was going to create consistency for our clients and our processes. SOPs, you know, who knew Yeah. Um, and it didn't matter how smart that people or I thought that I was in my own head as far as strategy. If you can't have somebody else execute on it, it's useless. And so the training wasn't enough. We had to have the processes, but once we got the processes down and then we started bulletproofing that process over time through experience, we finally got to the point where it's like, okay, we can deliver consistent results across our clients. Um, and you, like you said, um, earlier is that you've, you've seen us growing up from infancy, including the terrible twos, uh, to, to what we've become today. Um, I'm proud to say that you, I mean, I was glad that you, you stuck with us, you know, for, for so long.
1: <laughs> well, you, you, you helped to uh, take a large, um, you know, plate off my shoulders, you know, cause managing PPC was was a beast uh, for me and again it was just my wife and I at the time and so you know I, it, it has been fun watching you you guys grow as as we went through that but ultimately I think it I was one of the the people in your earlier group right as you were talking about you had kind of built this community you had right. your training platform I remember looking for like PPC related like training courses there at the time this was probably back in like 2016. There was not a lot out there. Um, mm-hmm. 2016, 2017, and like yours was like the only one that I kept like getting pointed to. And so similarly, I remember this is going back to the time when the only way you could get the um, sponsored brand image at the top of the page was if you get got into vendor central. Right. Right. Yeah. And that was like your hack. And I was like, this guy's genius. Right. And I think it was probably like <laughs> maybe like six months after that, when they started like rolling that out to, yeah. you know, the the three third party sellers and stuff like that. But I remember that's, that's where kind of, I was like, Oh, this, this guy's super smart, but you know, your stuff when it comes to Amazon advertising and now you've gotten even more breadth of knowledge with optimization and all of that stuff. So I would really love to dive in to maybe some case studies. um, But ideally, knowing that our audience are, you know, seven figure sellers or they've already established some success on Amazon, um, you've seen both small and huge brands, right? Some brands with like an unlimited budget come to you, say, just just dominate everything for me. So one of the questions I want to ask you, Brian, is like. What would be your recommendation and advice for, you know, a seven figure seller that wants to continue to grow to eight figures and beyond what should they be doing now as it relates to advertising specifically um, with Amazon, just getting more and more competitive every day.
0: I used to always answer with advertising because that, that was my subject matter expertise. Right. Um, But then when I I started getting really passionate about buyer behavior and conversion rate optimization and, buyer psychology and differentiation, some of these kind of concepts, I realized that that was a, a much, that was the prerequisite to advertising. Um, even mm-hmm. for brands that are already heavily advertising, uh, it's like, yeah, we don't, you know, we don't need to do all that kind of stuff because we're already selling, but you're in an environment where the ad costs continue to go up. It continues to get more expensive in order to maintain uh, what you're doing. You're starting to see where, you um, your, the relationship between your ad cost and your total sales um, is continuing to increase rather than decrease like you want it to. And you're always fighting against competition that is continually adapting. They're continually pivoting. They're, they're, they're either emulating, emul- emulating you or they're emulating somebody next to you. And because of that, um, the emulation model that is commonly taught among courses in the Amazon space, uh, plus a lot of the tools to say, hey, here's who's who's successful. Just do what they do. And frankly, there's a high portion of sellers that simply it's like, yeah, this is a side business for me, or this is a startup. I'm going, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel and try to be creative. I'm just going to copy what works out there. And there might be some a certain amount of laziness in there, but more than likely, they simply just don't have the the self confidence to say, hey, I'm going to break out on my own and do something different you know, boldly go, you know, where nobody else is. Um, But without a doubt, I can walk into any niche on Amazon and immediately see what are the, the weaknesses, the gaps of the uh, brands that are competing in that same space and know how to exploit that. It sounds kind of like a bad, bad thing, but how to take advantage of their mistakes and in and, and connecting with their target audience and actually do put the things in place that are correct in order to speak to their target audience, to get their attention, you know, catch the eye of the shopper, to pull in their interest through things like the image and the title in order to pull them through to the, to the product listing in order to pull them away from a lot of that competition. Yeah. And then, of course, in the listing itself is to answer the key questions that gets them to nod their head saying, yes, I want that. I want that. I want that. Ultimately, they're going to make a purchase decision. Um, that has the effect of, uh, sometimes dramatically, but certainly on a regular basis increases the conversion rate for the product, not only the visibility, the sessions, you know, the traffic going to a product, but also the conversion rate that yeah. combination obviously creates a lot more sales and the profitability allows you to either become profitable in your advertising or even more aggressive in your advertising. If you choose to do so Um, it is, uh, I would say that probably when you transition from being a seven figure seller up to an eight figure, nine figure seller is when you're starting to transition away from here is you know, basic campaign structure and basic like tactics when it comes to the product or seller central or vendor central. When you move into the eight figure, nine figure, you start getting into the organizational challenges that you're trying to solve. You're trying to solve for, um, you know, logistical bottlenecks, your, you know, staffing uh, problems, um you know, all the things that, you know, that you and I have talked about as far as that Sharfin teaches, as far as like going to the next level and each mm-hmm. level becomes a ceiling that you've got to solve everything underneath it before you can break through to the next level. And most brands, um, they may have got a great product and a great catalog, but they have to solve a number of things uh, as leaders and what their leadership team and how their whole um, their whole team operates in order to get to the next level to break through. And so uh, certainly for those who are still trying to maximize everything about their product and their seller central account and everything in their catalog, always, always, always start with revisiting. Can you differentiate your, I know you can, but it's kind of a rhetorical question, but can you differentiate your product from the rest of your competitors for that search and give shoppers a reason to be curious or compelled to come through your product listing. Usually that's benefit or feature-driven. And then, of course, answer the question, what's in it for me, multiple times on your product listing so that they understand instantly, not through a long, you know, reading a long, you know, uh, text block or have, making them figure it out, but just handing, handing it to them, what's in it for me in order to, you know, if, if I buy this product. That is... Yeah. The the by far the greatest impact that I have seen when it comes to sales and profitability in the Amazon space.
1: Very interesting. And I think that that, that necessarily wasn't going to be the answer I was expecting to hear. And I don't think it's the strategy or tips that people are like, oh, I, I want the newest hack. Right. right. And you're like, well, no, you you, you got to be creative and Kind of going it's back to the basics, <laughs> um but like you said, it is a, a it is a prerequisite. What yeah. I would love to do, Brian, is are there any case studies that come to your mind or maybe just some examples of like let's dive into that like differentiation like can you give us a few different niches and just like hypotheticals, even um if we don't have case studies to say, hey, like this is how to approach you know differentiation um because I think that this is important too. As people establish their brands and maybe as they look to get into new product categories, right, and extend their product line. uh, You mentioned that you can look at different product niches or, you know, categories on Amazon. You're like, I already know which ones are the prime for picking. Right. So can you kind of break that down for us to help kind of the audience maybe glean some of the insights that you have to where you can pinpoint like, ooh, this one's prime for disruption?
0: Well, I mean, honestly, every every niche within Amazon is prime for disruption. Unfortunately, I've gotten the uh, I've, I've built up the bad habit is that I look at um, most things in my life and look for you know what's the one what's in it for me, what's the standout differentiation. I'm driving on the highway looking at billboards with the same mentality that I am looking at a niche on Amazon, uh, and so it it kind of gets you know a little obsessive, maybe, but um, ultimately I am looking at from. Um, Starting out with, I mean, because ultimately there's going to be the, you know, what we call it as far as the differentiation, the conversion rate optimization side of the product listing, which most brands haven't done in the last six months. They probably haven't done it since they first launched the product, right? Which would be a huge yeah. mistake. Uh, there's still some people out there who who still believe if they change something in their title that they'll lose all of their ranking and indexing and everything. It's it's a very dated concern. Um but when it comes to, well, so you've got the, the differentiation and conversion rate optimization of products. And then, of course, then how do you get your traffic, whether that is advertising on Amazon, whether you're driving TikTok traffic from outside of Amazon, whether you've got, you know, social media sites that are pushing through micro affiliate, you know, micro influencers and these kinds of things. Right. All of these things are valid and they they have their time of consideration. But ultimately, you're on the platform that has a higher average conversion rate than any other channel available out there including probably your own d2c site and so it does carry fees that go along with that but you if you lean harder into maximizing the conversion rate on amazon you're going to learn a lot of things that you can use outside of amazon as well as well in, in addition to when you first identify hey i'm going to bring a new product to market how am I going to, the, the first thought is not can we bring this to market, but how are we going to market this once we put it into market? Uh, because we have to be able to stand out from the competition. Some examples on this is it could be as simple as uh, if, every, if there's a common pattern that occurs among the search results. Let's say you take your, your favorite search term or your one that converts the most for your product, and you look at the search results to come back there's usually a couple of things that come, uh, come up. First one's going to be, are the products that Amazon chooses to bring back to the shopper for that search term, are they all similar? Are they similar to your product? Uh, second one, or is it a mix of other products that just happen to use the same search term? So there's a matter of relevance there. The second one is going to be, are they going to bring back products that are a similar price point to you? If you're coming in and you've got, a $200 product, and everybody else has a $50 product, and Amazon's primarily just showing the $20 to $50 products, and then you're kind of this outlier trying to fit into with a $200 product, you're either going to stand out very well, or you're going to be just uh, ignored just out of sheer, just like miss as far as relevance, as far as your target audience. So that's something that I highly encourage brands to do is to take their top 20 search terms and actually search on Amazon to see how would their product look among whatever comes back, whatever Amazon thinks is relevant to that search term. That'll tell you where Amazon is trying to, where they think is the buying target audience. Um, They're going to bring back the products they think are going to convert the best. The third thing is the patterns. There's always, they're going to be common patterns. This is what I was talking about as far as emulation. So uh, an example on this is um, like one of them that I, that I'll reference uh, again and again, is um, let's take shoes, for instance, just a couple of a couple up here. So in the case of shoes, it is very common for uh, brands in every niche in order to create their main image. And it's usually a single product and it is just flat right there. In other words, mm-hmm. there's no there's no depth, there's no product. And then a, f- a foot back, there's another product kind of off in the distance, you know, maybe a little bokeh, right? um a little bit of a blur in the background maybe there's no color splash it's not they're not at an angle it's not tilted up it's just flat sideways right up in front right filling up as much white space as possible there's no character to that main image if most of your competitors in the shoe results are using the same kind of main image the same footprint if you will uh where the the shoe they're all pointing to the left they're all pointing you they're they're flat they're turned completely sideways 90 degrees to the viewer they're all pointing in the same direction white background it's pretty easy for you to simply just try to go the opposite point the opposite direction tilt your your shoe up have an angle have the second shoe off in the background at a distance um just to create some depth in there there's there's so many tricks i actually Went so far because I am that level of geek uh, is I've actually gone out and done uh, thousands of studies of buyer choices where think of it similar to the process. Like, say, PickFu might use in order to take an audience and say, give them, okay, here's image A, here's image B. Which one's your favorite? Yeah, not an accurate A, B split test, but it does have some value, right? So the same kind of thing that I did um, on other platforms is simply just, it was a little simpler than that. It was more about the human eye and which uh, which product did you notice first? And it was just like, you know, a whole series of images. Mm. From which product did you notice first? Which one did you notice second? Why? And did that thousands of times. And there was common patterns that we learned that uh, it simply just draws the, the human eye on a a page like that, the result page, first, second, third. First one was always motion. So Mm. that was never really a consideration in the Amazon space because, of course, the only thing with motion would have been the sponsored brand video ad, and that's below the fold, not now. Now you can get a video up in headline ads. Grab, if you've got to grab it, do it, because that's the first thing that people notice is motion. The second thing that grabs their attention is a bright high-contrast pop of color, bright red, blue, green, yellow, whatever. That seems to, that kind of color pop, when it is among a lack of that color. In other words, if everybody's got a red product, yours being red, it's not going to be noticed. But if everybody's black, and you've got a black product, but you put a red apple in there, or you've got a red box behind it, or some kind of accent uh, behind, you know, some blue, you know, accessory or something like that behind it that has creates an additional color pop in the image. It just naturally draws the eye of the shopper. So that's kind of the shoe example of how did we get more people to stop their scroll on their mobile phone, right. In yeah. order to yeah. stop for a split second to look at the image and therefore then look at the title. And then we use the title in order to hook them over to the listing. Um the the another one that is uh, that grabs people's eyes is uh, clean versus clutter. Think of um, like kitchen. Uh, think of like uh, uh, kitchen pots and pans. Right, you got a set of like three frying pans and three pots and ladles and lids and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it is very common for brands to want to force value all the way up front on the main image by saying, "Oh well, here's our main product." But then we have these 12 accessories that go along with it. I'm going to cram all of that into my main image. And it's all going to be just like, just uh, dense packed in there on the main image. And look at all the value we're giving you. And somebody has enough sales where they make, you know, create success. and Then everybody else emulates that. Not a whole lot of originality there.
1: So true. So true. And I, it, I'm going to piggyback off of that and let like you continue <laughs> because, We saw that in one of the most recent like product opportunities that we went into. We said, wow, look at everything. All these people are like trying to provide. There's like, we're including 10,000 markers. Plus we're including 10,000 stickers. And like all of a sudden, like it, what's funny is like they, somebody initially started doing that. And then everybody just started copying. And my wife and I, as we looked at that kind of opportunity, we were like, Holy smokes. Like this is just overwhelming. And just, filled with clutter. And so what we did is we actually took out like, sorry, you're not getting 10,000 stickers. Sorry. You're not getting a bunch of markers. You're getting one, right? And you're getting one of each of these things, but it's exactly what you need. And instead of just like customer feeling overwhelmed, it's like, Oh, that's, that is exactly what I want. And so it's, it's just very clean. And you see so many better results from that because it's a lot less pressure on the customer's mind to have to think, wow, what am I looking at and trying to dissect, like what all is being included here? So anyways, I'll let you go back to it, but like, just want to like, give that a second. Yeah. No, absolutely. Cause it's,
0: yeah. And part of it is, um, you know, back in the day, you and I, you know, certainly remember back when you know they used to teach as far as like, oh yeah, no, put a put an ebook on your listing to differentiate. You know, so you stand out. And of course, nobody cared about the ebook, right? Yeah. But there's always this one, you know, extra value. And I think that kind of, you know, like if you sell, you know, a, a kitchen tool, you know, have like a cleaning brush or a case or something like that, right? A stand for it. And I think that just continued to perpetuate more and more and more until people are going to say, well, I got to have everything on there to show value. But from a shopper. There's there's a couple of rules that we typically have regarding conversion rate optimization. That is um, the uh, introducing confusion or introducing doubt is going to slow down the buying process, the decision process of a shopper, and that's going to slow down or even inhibit them buying the product because if they're confused, they don't buy. If they have doubt, they don't buy, right? Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, low-hanging fruit of like if you've got – Bad English, misspellings throughout your listings—that slows down the buyer. A slowing buyer um, is not going to purchase. If you have too many variations, we see this a lot in, um, let's say, a baby niche, for instance. You know, like like baby bibs, and they've got different patterns and sayings and colors and sizes and uh, quantity packages, and and then everybody's got a different design because it's like, oh well, I don't like those designs. I'm going to come up with my own. And then imagine the results of baby bibs on Amazon, you can do that search, and uh, everybody is like, like, here's all these different, here's 15 different designs and 12 sizes, and if you click in the listings, here's 19 more variations, child variations of those variations of those thing combinations, and you're just so overwhelming the consumer that they're like, they get into this paralysis by analysis where they can't make a decision because there's too many options in front of them. So I love what you did there. It's like like, instead of 10,000, we're going to be like, what do you actually want? What do you actually uh, need, right? It's not to say that you can't offer that value within the listing, but in a situation where every all your competition is pushing this cluttered main image and it's just rows and rows of cluttered main images, be the one that has this massive amount of white space, It sticks out like like, like a sore thumb, just as if you had a red background, a white background is going to pop to a consumer who's just overwhelmed with, with, you know, too much information all around. Yours is going to stand out. Uh, And then maybe in your secondary image, you can say like, Oh, and you know what? We're also going to throw in these other things. Yeah. Okay. But you got to catch their attention first before you can get them to appreciate the value within your listing later. Yeah. So those are a couple of good examples that I like to use because it's, Uh, There's similar patterns like that that occur, um, you know, throughout just in just in the main image that occur in every single niche where it's easy to um, simply just do the opposite of what everybody else is doing and what most of your competitors are are doing in order to grab the attention of the shopper first before everybody else. That's the whole click share
1: metric from brand analytics. Makes sense. Yeah. Hey, that that's a lot of. Uh, value that you you just shared there. I'm also curious going back to the, the variation question there uh, or point that you pointed out that sometimes too many variations is that analysis by paralysis, right? And then the customer just leaves. You might think you're like, Oh, look, I've got 20 different designs for you to choose from. This is great. Right. And it's like, no, probably not. So have you found a magical number um, (laughs) for like variations on a listing that you would recommend?
0: Well, it can't simply just be a different flavor of the day, right? Um, I think that you and your wife uh, mastered this in that you you came out with different, um, actual different designs. Yours came off a lot more custom. Even though you had some, some patterns that you repeated in different ways, you didn't simply just say, like, oh, we're going to do a, a white and an eggshell and a light gray and a... You know, these kind of like, like subtle variations of of things, it was more of, uh, no, this is modern. This is rustic. This is, I mean, substantially different um, options to choose from. Generally, I would say is um, don't simply just add on variations thinking you're going to just multiply sales. Um, Oh, if I've got a black one, then I'm going to add on a red, a blue, a green, a black, you know, a white color, whatever. Um, What are the most popular colors? And only do those. and only do like the top three. Um, It would be better to bring in a new product that has something actually unique about it than to simply just add on color variations. Size variations, quantity variations, you can leverage those in different ways. Things like you know, gloves, shoes, clothes, whatever the case is, uh, size variations is um, very common. You would bundle those together underneath the same listing so that if somebody goes in and says, okay, okay, here's the red shoe I want. Oh, and here's all the different sizes, men's and women's, whatever. uh, That makes sense to keep together as a variation. Right. But everything else, um, truly different designs, you should look for the earliest opportunity where it can stand on its own from a social proof standpoint, review count standpoint, in order to break it out. To be a separate listing because that's when you get the advantage that actually vendor central accounts currently get. Uh, this is something relatively new, but and that is the ability to have multiple product listings, multiple ads running in the same space, the same real estate for the same search result. Um, you can have multiple ones. So you, I'm sure you've seen this where you go into a niche and somebody just has dominated the ad space and the organic space with multiple products, the way they do that is those are standalone products or separate parent products. Those are not child products unless they are a vendor central account. Then they get that benefit now. But the the variations, what we typically see on that is because of that paralysis by analysis, they don't make the choice. Um, You would think the logic is usually like, well, I'll have, if I add in 10 more variations, 10 more, you know, different styles, flavors, then I'll have 10 chances of getting the same customer. No, actually, you'll simply just confuse them because all the rest of your competitors have confused them because of a lack of focus, a lack of commitment to a decision. And what you end up with is single-digit conversion rates, which is a death wish for any product line on Amazon. Uh, It's not uncommon for us to see among clothing i just want using like the baby clothing baby bibs baby onesies all that kind of stuff that i have all these different flavors and styles uh-huh. and all that kind of stuff uh it's not uncommon for those to come in at like a, a three to five percent conversion rate which is horrific mm. for a product to have right uh, if you're not up in the 20 percent plus conversion rate it's because you don't know who your audience is interesting
1: so let's go into that then real briefly then brian like how do you optimize for conversion rate? How do you get to that 20% conversion rate,
0: Mark? <laughs> We've got, what, four hours? Okay, cool.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> here's, the, here's the short workshop.
0: Now, so, so the biggest thing, the easiest, well, I shouldn't say the easiest to implement because I, I take it for granted because I do it all day. I do it with billboards for crying out loud. I mean, um, is, is to go in and look at what is it, first and foremost, what is it, uh, what's the common pattern? Um, among what your competitors are selling and how do you break apart from that? How do you do something different? Uh, A a second thing on that is what is it about your product that is actually has a different benefit or a different feature than your competitors? This is where a lot of brands get hung up because they're like, like, look, we source the exact same product as most of my manufacturers from the same factory, same mold, same materials, same color, same everything. I'm just selling two, right? It's a me too product. Or what the the one I always love is like I was the first one here. Everybody else copied me. Cool. You're the innovator. Time to innovate again. Time to pivot. Um, Even in situations like this, the biggest, the easiest low hanging fruit is your competitors are failing to point out obvious features and benefits to the consumer in the product listings simply because they know too much about their own product line. They know that everybody in the same niche has the same feature, has the same benefit. And so they fail to point it out to a shopper because they just assumed everybody already knows. I assure you they don't. And so even if you come in and you – like I've got a, a couple of questions that I always have brands take back to their manufacturer. And some of the responses I've heard have been, have been hilarious, but um, – The two questions that I have them ask their manufacturer is, in the manufacturing process of my product, what is the most expensive step and what is the most time-consuming step and why for each of those? It's not that you paid more or asked to have extra time spent. It's just, and you just said, I want this product, and then they just solved for you without even telling you at the manufacturing level that, oh, this one thing took longer or this one thing was a more expensive ingredient or part or, or process. What you'll find in that is they'll explain something to you like, oh, well, we have to – it takes uh, – the, the most time-consuming is that we have to put this plastic mold into this oven in order to bake in the color for an extended period of time, uh, and that, so that takes the most. So why do you do that? It's like, oh, well, so it doesn't fade when it's setting out in the sun. Oh, nobody's pointing out the fact that it resists sun-fading. You know, they can, you know, they can, they can stand the weather, you know, it's it's weather resistant, you know, even Mm -hmm. though everybody experiences the same benefit because it was made by the same manufacturer, they all have the same benefit. Nobody else is pointing out that to the consumer as, oh, guess what? Here's, here's a feature. Here's a benefit. And when a consumer sees that you point this thing out, they don't know that everybody's got that, but they do see that you seem to be the only one that is pointing it out. Therefore, you must be different. You must have something unique. This is often this is as simple as it takes oftentimes for us to because like a canopy we're always like saying like we're not in the business of like having you discount your product we want you to increase the price of your product and to yep. demand more for your product because you've got more exclusivity you stand out from the competition the, the advertising works better gotta right and so this is a way that you can actually increase your price above it's like, and, I, and i can hear the voices like no i've got competitors to sell my product for eight dollars stop competing against them find yep. these things that separate either uh understand better than them what the pain is that you're solving for a consumer and put it in the language that a consumer understands in simplistic terms replace things like acron- industry acronyms with a couple of words that actually explains what it does what's the benefit one that I use on that is there's an industry code for fire resistance called UL-94. Mm. And products that are fire resistant, they love to, because it's nice and short, it's only four letters, they put it in their title, UL-94, UL-94. Mm. First of all, nobody's searching for UL-94. Second, anybody searching for that product probably has no clue what UL-94 is. But yep. if it's time to put in fire resistant, all of a sudden you're like going, wow, this one's fire resistant. The other ones aren't. These are all fire resistant. Yep but you used language that they actually understood it's how politicians get elected. Right?
1: Yeah. You know, um, Brian, I, I, I don't want, I want you to continue on that thought. I want, I'm yeah. going to interject here because I think I don't remember. There's a, there was a beer company and you might know this, right? Um, that what they changed in their marketing is that they said that their, their beer was filtered. Right. I think right. that's the correct thing. Right. Where their beer is the exact same, went through the exact same process as everybody else. Right. And that is the differentiating factor is like, they just went through that thought process of like, all right, what's the most expensive step or what's the, what takes the longest amount of time. And they're like, Oh, we spend a lot of time filtering. Let's call out that our beer is filtered. And so at that time, nobody else was calling out that our beer was filtered, whether that was in, important or called out, you know, and, and it differentiated them. And I think there's a lot, I I mean, I've already had a big mindset shift with that, like with some of my products that uh, one thing that we can do is like, there's a lot of like hand tooling time that takes a lot of like hand craftsmanship for some of our products. It was like, why don't we say that this is actually handcrafted? Like each one gets, you know, we we can market that. And instead of just looking at the standard competition and just looking at like, oh what does everybody say about planners, right? Well, right. our planner has one thousand pages, mine has one thousand and one pages, or things like that that's That's the basic stuff, like what I love those questions that you talked about, and it can make such an impact. So I'll let you continue going down that path, but I want the audience to know like this is a huge mindset shift, and i don't we haven't had any podcast guest on thus far that's ever talked about something as simple as this when it comes to product optimization that I think genuinely is like a a true miss right now in the industry.
0: It is, it's a huge opportunity because I can, I I can guarantee you that, but you know, I wasn't just being cheeky when I said like, I can walk into any niche on Amazon and immediately see the opportunities. Um, That is, that is a true statement because your competitors, they don't understand the buyer psychology. They're not taking the time to consider the buyer psychology. In fact, you're probably even going up against some brands that have, you know, a thousand SKUs, and they don't have the time, and the resources in order to even go through that process. But you can, right? If you truly are passionate about the the audience that you're serving, um, I'll probably mention it a little bit later on as far as uh, review analysis. And that's a whole whole additional topic that goes into that. But um, those examples, those are just a couple of uh, of you know, twenty different, thirty different ways that you can make small improvements to. How well that your product you know catches somebody's eyes, compels them or interests them, uh, hooks them, I call it, in, to pull them into your product listing just from what's in your first seventy five characters of your title, uh, and then towards the and the listing itself, hundred percent is that yes you can you can point out benefits and i and I made I, I pointed out a couple of examples here as far as like how do you come up with a benefit or a feature that makes my product appear to be unique now. You brought up a very good point, and that is, um, you know, my competitors don't do this currently, (laughs) and that is, yes, they will adapt. When they see your success, they will emulate you, and you'll need to continue to innovate. So just plan on every six months going back, looking at your niche, and saying, like, do I still stand out, or do I need to, uh, to pivot a little bit? Do I need to adapt? And it's okay for you to do that because you're always the one leading the way, taking advantage of that change. On the listing itself, absolute no question. You can have as much text as you want, as much images, videos, whatever the case is. But if you're not answering right near the top in the secondary images, in the bullet points, in the A-plus content, it's going to show up differently depending on what device that you're on anyway. So you might as well do it to all of these, is lead with the first three things that you state, the first three features or benefits that you state in a secondary image or the first three bullet points or the first, you know, row of images on A-plus content or something is you're quickly answering what's in it for me if I buy this product. What's the benefit to me as the consumer? Keep it simple in language. Don't go over flowery, you know, and tell a story and, you know, haiku and all that kind of stuff. It's more of a case of you're simply just saying, like, in five to eight words, here's the benefits. And then follow that, chase that with another, you know, maybe the rest of the bullet points, for instance, here's the feature or features that create this benefit for you. And if they're unique, point out that, you know, they're unique as well. Those are the things that you're trying to get the shop to say, I want that. I want that. I want that. At that point, you've got your customer. Before that, they if you're making them work, if you're making them read through and you're telling your story and you're, they're talking about stuff they don't care, like we donate 5% to the blah, blah, blah organization. They don't care. What they yeah. care about is when I get this product, it sounds selfish, but it works from a conversion rate standpoint, which is what you're trying to do. And that yeah. is just handed to them, here is the pain that we're going to solve, or here's the thing that's going to solve your pain. Here's the benefit to you. Here's how we're going to do it. Um, certain certain niches, certain categories have some other requirements to um, like beauty for instance requires things like uh, brand pedigree to be mentioned that kind of stuff and I can that's, that's a different topic there but um, but in general the what's in it for me is is absolutely the the number one I won't say the easiest thing to implement but the number one biggest impact on conversion rate is coming in quickly with some very succinct really easy to read and understand within five seconds what's the benefit to me? Yeah, number one, number two, number three.
1: I love it, Brian. We could go on for the next four hours. Let's just keep it at least. It going. Yeah, <laughs> I got you booked for the next four hours, right? Is that that's not right, what the calendar right. said? <laughs> um, no, Brian. I mean, man, what a wealth of knowledge that this has been amazing. Um, I myself, uh, I I've, I've followed your stuff, and I'm like, ah, I know this guy pretty well. But already, like, I've I've been sitting here taking a, a bunch of notes uh, and send my team some information here because. This nice. has been a goldmine of information. So I think our listeners, you need to go back and hit rewind a few times here. Um, <laughs> Brian, before I ask you the final three questions, I always ask our guests. I do love to leave the audience with three actionable takeaways from each episode. So here are three takeaways that I noted, Brian. Let me know if you think I'm missing something. Okay. Um, but number one, you've got to you got to think of your brand and your products as how am I going to innovate or differentiate my product listing? Um, You know, long gone are the days of creating me too products and saying, hey, the spatula niche looks awesome on Amazon. I'll just go create another spatula. Um, Now, if you can come up with a brand new type of spatula that nobody's ever seen before, that's where the innovation is required. Um, And I think that people need to get comfortable in innovating all the time. Um, So my action item here for our listeners is is also kind of a mindset shift of like Amazon and e-commerce in general is not a passive income stream, Uh, because as you mentioned, you might have come out with a new and innovative product right now, if you can get a design patent or a utility patent on it, that's one thing. But six months down the road, you're going to have people knocking you off no matter what. So you need to continue to innovate. This is not a set it and forget it strategy. So I think that that's kind of action item number one is like always be innovating. Um, You can't just set it and forget it. Right. Um, Action item number two is you need to think you need to go into those top search terms for your particular product and do the top 20 search terms. And actually, look at the listings. See what Amazon is pulling up, and you need to just evaluate: Do my listings just blend in with the sea of everybody else? Because if they do, you need to continue to innovate there. Um, yeah. I think that's you mentioned, like looking for patterns and trying to be, you know, how do you stand out? Right? How we, you break that
0: pattern with your own product. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you used some great examples there, right? With the shoes, or having a red background, or in the case of an oversaturation of content, maybe the white clean background will make a big difference.
0: Yeah, I don't always say so, red background. It could be just like a red red box that's in the background, a foot behind the you know. So yeah, so it's not it's not breaking in terms of service by having. You know, it's like, oh, that's not a white background. I want to hear it.
1: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) We'll clarify that. (laughs) Everybody's like, wait, did Brian just say we could add red backgrounds? (laughs) No. Uh, um, No, Amazon will tell you. (laughs) Thinking of how you can innovate, though, within the terms of service, right, um, for your product listings, okay, Um, breaking that pattern. And then third, last but not least, is think about what's in it for me for the end customer. Uh, When you come up with your copy, when you come up with your secondary images, if you don't have that thought process in mind of what's in it for me, and your first couple bullets and your title, and the first two images of your listing, don't immediately answer like, how is the customer going to resolve their pain point from purchasing this this product? Then you're going to lose. Um, Because at the end of the day, there was a Harvard business study um it goes back to Wendy's was trying to understand why most of their frosty purchases were being done actually in the morning, contrary to belief. Like that's they were trying to figure out like why are so many frosties being purchased in the morning? What they found out is they actually interviewed their customers, right? And they're like, why are you buying this frosty in the morning? What they found out is that people were doing it to kind of pass the time by while they were sitting in traffic and their, their frosty was a good consistency where it didn't go away too quick, like a drink. Right. right. But it wasn't too chunky where, and it was easy to sip on and still pay attention to the road. Right. And so, you know, Wendy's doubled down on kind of the thickness of their frosty because they understood that, Oh, they're, they're kind of using this to kind of pass the time by <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, it's clean. Awesome. Uh, So that's what I mean by like, even Wendy's is doing that and it changed the way that they kind of formulated their product. That's the same thing that we need to be doing and understanding like, what is, what is the customer hiring or purchasing our product for to solve? Because they're solving something in their life, whether it's boredom or whether it's, you know, to not forget something or who knows what it is, but you can understand that. And I think that goes into reviews and you can dive deeper there with customers. So I, I think have, there there could be. Go ahead, yeah, Brian. What else?
0: Into the Wendy's uh, thing. So I, I also, and this actually is apropos because I don't, in part because I don't think, I've got an example here, but I, I want to show an example where Wendy's actually failed also. All right. Uh, and and the reason for that is because I don't want people to think it's like, like oh, well, I'm not Wendy's. I'm not, I, don't, I don't have, you know, some pedigree of education, Ivy League, all that kind of stuff, right? None of that. It is a matter of like, if you assume that every person, every company is going to make mistakes, it's your job within your environment, within your product niche, within your competitive set to simply identify where did they stumble, where did they make a mistake, and where can I put my best foot forward? That's that's part of the differentiation, the standing out. The example that I want to the, that I kind of bring up on that is that that was brilliant for, for Wendy's to figure that out. Now, I like Wendy's. One of my local Wendy's restaurants nearby, during the summer, uh, in the evening, I would go in there, and I'd stick my head in the door and say, are you guys open? They're like, yeah, of course we're open. I can't tell because it's pitch black outside on the outside. Oh, mm. corporate makes us tint the windows to keep the air conditioning costs down. Mm. You guys look closed. That's why there's one car in the drive through And they're like, yeah, corporate doesn't allow us to change that. We actually put – the managers of that restaurant actually put in – uh, an open neon sign, and corporate made them take it down because it didn't fit they didn't wow. conform um, but they had these really dark windows in order to save against the Texas heat uh, to reduce the cost of air conditioning, and yet they are killing their business by half in the evening uh, because people didn't even think that they're open of mm. dark inside so those are kind of the the things that you can if you observe it jump on it <laughs> you yeah know? if you're a competitor, jump all
1: over it. Yeah, you build, you build the uh, the McDonald's next to Wendy's, and uh, you're like, hey, well, we're open, right?
0: Well, you know, I mean, Texas, of course, we've got Whataburger, and Whataburger is right next to Wendy's. Whataburger's got a line going around the block, two lanes. Yep. But yep. they also are, like, shining, like, we're open for you know, the next county to see. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true.
1: I love that. that that's a great – I'm glad that you added that in there. Uh, I think that's a great point. All right, Brian, so let's dive into the last final uh, questions here. What's been the most influential book that you've read, and why?
0: Uh, I'm, I, you know, I've got a number of them that I'm reading right now. Um, gosh, to narrow it down, I'm still going to lean into "Never Split the Difference" from Chris Foss. Okay. that one. Um, that one I just keep coming back to because there's some really just brilliant nuggets about human psychology in there. There's other things like um, um, uh, influence um, and and some some other books that are related to that, to human psychology. Um, that I enjoy. Um, that's, that's probably the one that I would recommend from a business standpoint. Is "Never Split the Difference" uh, by Chris Foss. Awesome.
1: That's a great, great recommendation. Question number two is: What is one of your favorite productivity tools or newer, newest software that you've been utilizing? Maybe it's a new software tool that many people don't know about uh, that you'd recommend other people dive into.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways because. Um, because I know that myself and, the, and my team, we've got a number of tools, either that we've built in-house or that we use that are public of, publicly available. And they're, they're commonly used and they're popular and for good reason, for product, competitive research, these kinds of things. But there's, there's usually in a lot of these tools, there's different ways of using the same data so that you're, you're not doing the same thing as everybody else is doing. Um, but I will say from a tool that I would say is uh, underutilized that I strongly believe in, especially when it comes to the differentiation and standing out is uh, review monitoring.com. Uh, they've, they're currently rebranding to reviews.ai, I believe. And review is a bulk um, Amazon product review analysis tool goes 10 times beyond what I've seen with other uh, review analysis tools because it'll go in and it'll it'll show you not simply like you, because in other words, you can tie it in so that you're looking at your own product reviews, you're looking at all your competitive product reviews, and what it's looking for is what are the common patterns from a sentiment standpoint? they were in a good mood, they're in a bad mood, you know, they they rated it low, they rated it high. What are the individual words that, indiv- that came up or individual phrases that came up most frequently when they were speaking negative about their purchase and it goes in and, and it really highlights what are some common keywords. And then allows you to, to, like, okay, stem this out, you know, it, it kind of like the spider web out that shows like, Oh, here's the other words that are connected to this common phrase that keeps coming up in negative reviews or positive reviews. What that allows you to do is it allows you to look in bulk at your niche and say, What are the pain points that people are talking about? What are people praising about products in my niche? What are people complaining about? And then you can use that information in order to emphasize the benefits and features of your own product or mitigate any kind of negativity that you might experience with your own product simply by understanding what other products are people looking at and what other reviews are kind of telling the story of what the shopper's experience is. I would love to have that extend out to social media platforms. Anytime a product is mentioned, what is the sentiment that goes along with that? as I know it doesn't exist. I keep on saying I'm going to build that someday and I haven't, but from an Amazon standpoint, reviewmonitoring.com, I'm not an affiliate for, I wish I had a percentage of that company as much as as I, I like talking about it, but I am, I'm a fan and I do use that. Um, to really dig into who my target audience is and what their pain points are that I can address in my product listings.
1: Awesome. That's a, a great tool. I haven't used that one before, but that's definitely one that sounds very valuable. I know exactly how we would use that in our business, and it goes right along with everything that you just talked about today, being yeah. able to understand the customer so much better and differentiate and focus on the what's in it for me. So right. thanks for sharing that with us. Last but not least, uh, Brian, who is somebody that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space that you think people should be paying attention to? Oh,
0: there's a lot of people, there's a lot of OGs in, in, the, in the market. There's a lot of up, up and coming. Um, I, I will fully admit is one of my uh, character flaws that I had more so in the past was um, – you know, believing everything that I said that was, was said about me and getting my, you know, I had, you know, get a big head, big ego. And there were a couple of times in the past where I have shut down somebody who's new and up and coming um, that I should have shown more respect to, but didn't. And that was just, you know, a character flaw of my own ego at the time. I think I've outgrown that, but I'm human, but Uh so I do, I don't necessarily. In other words, my my point of that is not to dismiss any uh, anybody who's up and coming, trying to get the knowledge, trying to put out the knowledge. And if there's just saying bad stuff, yes, yeah, so I'm going to call them out on it.
1: But yeah, uh,
0: you know, I I, I need to, I take a second look now. Uh, if even if I have my doubts, I take a second look and try to get a better perspective, right? But I would say that the ones that I feel like I just embrace the messaging and really try to absorb it and use it that I've met personally a couple of times and I know is, has done very well. It's actually a couple. Uh, you actually may know them as well. Uh, they used to be in Austin. Now they're in Vegas. Uh, Alex and Layla Harmozy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's H uh, O R M O S I, I believe is uh, Um yep. They, they did, um, they used to have a, Probably still do actually the gym launch brand they they were entrepreneurs that figured out a system for making the typically unprofitable gym membership become profitable and um you, you know a a, a, mod, a business model that actually works which is very uncommon among gyms and martial arts studios and all that kind of stuff but the the amount I've seen them grow over the years and they've just become more and more brilliant. The, the more success that they've had and they've got great hearts and they're willing to share it. I know Alex, for instance, has a YouTube channel um, where he'll talk about um, some of the things. And then of course his wife, Layla is a brilliant uh, person to listen to, especially for those who are in the eight, nine, 10 figure businesses. Layla Hormozy is no question I would make sure that you're plugging into what she's what she's teaching
1: mm, awesome I definitely recommend Alex Wormosey and I've heard him speak in the past as well and yeah he he drops a lot of brilliance um, everywhere he goes in everywhere he speaks so I second that and, and I also know his book I think it's a million dollar offers right? Is, right, the, right is the book yeah, yeah. so yeah awesome. but
0: his, his, his wife Layla is yeah if you're up above the you know like I said, the eight, nine figure business, uh, Layla has some, some pearls of wisdom that you, you've you got to catch. So
1: good input. Well, thank you, Brian. Brian, last thing, you know, I know you have kind of a free gift that you want to leave with our audience. Um, if they want to learn more about your services, where do they find you? Go ahead and tell everybody about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I will say is that um, the, from the agency standpoint, from canopy management, one of the things that's. Um, that we can offer is we've gotten really good about, we do a hand audit. In other words, a manual process audit of an Amazon seller account and we'll come in and we'll tell that brand, okay, here's what you're doing. Right. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's where your growth path, your potential sales and profitability should be at. And here's how you need to get there. Um, and that's something that we do. It is, of course, it is a model that we use. Uh, in hopes that you'll look at us and say, like, oh, wow, you guys really know what you're doing, the depth that you went into. You guys clearly know the strategy and the path that needs to be done. I'll just hire you guys to do it, as you did, Josh, right? Yeah. Um, but if it doesn't turn into that, and it's something that we, it's very common for us to to provide that kind of an, uh, an audit, they say, like, cool, thanks for the information. They may choose somebody else. A year later, they come right back. So we know that you know, there's there's a lifetime value of simply providing that kind of um, you know value to to people within our community and, and their brands, and so that is something that uh, we can offer. Certainly for your listeners, is to just go out to canopymanagement dot com and just ask for that uh, strategy session. Awesome. And where
1: can people follow you, Brian?
0: Um, you know what? So so I'm on uh, social media. Um, I'm not currently. Um, i'm done for 2022 as far as the the speaking stage goes so i'm not doing any um uh, obviously your i think yours is actually probably the last one that i'm doing even from a uh you know an online you know podcast kind of uh standpoint too so i'm gonna take the rest of the year off <laughs> so
1: um, well deserved
0: yeah but i would say that that certainly the um the most common way i mean i'm on you know, Facebook and LinkedIn, you can look up, you know, Canopy Management or Brian R. Johnson on LinkedIn, for instance, and reach out to me there. I'm in multiple places. I've got a YouTube channel that hasn't been updated in a while, but it still has some great content on it. Or frankly, if you want to just email me at brian at
1: dot com, I'll receive it. Easy enough. So Well, Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. You've dropped a lot of knowledge with us all. And so I, I encourage our listeners to go follow you and, and and check out your stuff moving forward but thanks for joining us today.
0: Glad to be here. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.